And welcome into another episode of No Plan Views with Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg. We are here after the first full week of football in the 2022 NFL season. And boy, Harris, was, was there, is there a lot to get into both with the, the New York teams, a flurry of just crazy upsets, which seems to be a week one tradition before these teams really know whether they're, they're contenders or not. But there is uh, just so much going on, especially in the New York football landscape. And it seemed like the two New York teams went in totally opposite directions. Maybe not the way that we would have thought it would have went based on the, the way we talked about them in our preview episode. But let's get right into it. It was quite the week for the New York football giants. I mean, they go into Tennessee, a place that has been that although we we talked about their personnel losing AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill not being the the most reliable of quarterbacks, Tennessee's always a tough place to play. They're a hard nosed team coached by Mike Vrabel. Like that is a good football team. And the Giants went in there and after a, a rocky start, it looked like this was going to be a Jets esque type of performance. They were down, they were down thirteen going into the half, and they really willed out a game that that I I did not see coming. I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. And and the, there's no one to talk about. First, besides Saquon Barkley, I mean, what a performance for Saquon. I mean, we talked about how a lot of this giant season is going to hinge on Barkley being able to come overcome these last couple injury played years. And he went out there and not only looked like himself, but he looked like one of the best, most explosive playmakers in the NFL in week one of the season. I mean, we get into the numbers. He had 24 touches for 194 scrimmage yards and a touchdown. Led the NFL this week in rushing yards after contact and was tied for first with three 15 plus yard runs. And those two numbers right there, more so than just the touches and the scrimmage yards. That's great. Like, of course you want your guys getting the ball and really moving it. But for me, it's the yards after contact and the 15 plus yard runs that tell a lot of the story for Saquon for me, because that tells me that he's confident in his body again, and he's explosive. Those are a couple of things that coming off the, the caliber of injury that Saquon had to go through were concerns of mine in his future outlook. And, and he was aware that he's coming into a situation where he's playing for a contract and for him to go out there and really just like brush off defenders, break tackles and break off these 15 plus yard runs. That shows me that he is no longer worried and ailing towards his injuries and that he is fully healthy. And the fact that he's able to break off these 15 plus yard runs, that takes a level of explosiveness to get through a tough Titans defense. And those two numbers to me really are the keys. If Saquon is going to be able to be the rookie year Saquon, that looked like one of the that was a generational running back prospect coming out of Penn state and came onto the scene with a massive year for the giants back when in his rookie year, I believe 2018, he is going to be in line for something totally special this year. I mean, 194 yards from scrimmage. He was active both in the run game and the pass game. He played 82.8% of snaps, offensive snaps for the giants. Most of any RB in the NFL in week one. I mean, we've seen, there's plenty of workhorses out there in the NFL and for Saquon, a guy that has not really had a full workload in a couple of years to go out there and be on the field for a majority of the snaps, breaking tackles, breaking off big runs, doing it both on the ground and in the air. It was as good as a start as you can have if you're Saquon Barkley, if you're the New York Giants. We'll get into the other factors in just a second, Brian Dable, Daniel Jones. But how about we start? Give me your thoughts on that, that Saquon performance. Well, you mentioned that number, that percentage of snaps that he played. That's a telltale sign right there that he's healthy, and that's exactly what the Giants need. I know you mentioned the numbers, but you could do some basic math here too. He averaged a tick over nine yards a carry on just 18 carries for 164 yards. Now, he did get involved in the passing game. Like you said, he caught six for 30. But that's exactly what you expected out of Saquon Barkley when, when you drafted him just, you know, four years or five years back. I mean, that was the kind of guy you knew you were going to get. You were going to get a big burly running back who was going to break tackles and get through defenses and also be involved in the passing game. That right there, the, the, the performance he had in the week one just provides a level of optimism that I don't think the Giants have had after a week one in a long, long time. I mean, this is a guy who looked like what he was supposed to be. I mean, when's the last time that you actually looked at Saquon Barkley in the NFL and said, okay, like this is the guy we actually drafted on a full workload, maybe his rookie year. I mean, he's been injured. He's had, you know, obviously the team has had a lot of trouble, but that performance right there said, okay, like Saquon is officially like he's back. And I think 
like we talked about it last episode, these players on the Giants have something to prove. And two big guys, like we said, one Daniel Jones, but I think the biggest is Saquon Barkley because he's a guy who had a lot of high expectations and is playing for a big contract. But again, I think he's trying to represent the Giants in the best way possible because without Saquon Barkley, the Giants are nowhere near the team that they could ever get close to wanting to be. So this was a phenomenal performance, a good start for him. And I, I think it was a big thing. It, it reminded me of his rookie year back in 2018, for sure. Absolutely. And, and, and if you look at just the game breakdowns from the last couple of years, he played 13 games last year in 2021. If you recall, he went, it was the middle of the season. He missed weeks seven through 10, which was their bye. So he had a little hiatus in the middle of the season there, like coming back off a big injury that in 2018 limited him, that in, excuse me, that in 2020 limited him to just two games. So he has played essentially one season within the last two. And for him to come out there and just show zero signs of, of that injury-laden player that he was, like even last year, like, like he played 13 games, which all things considered is not horrendous for an NFL running back. But if you remember the beginning of the year, he was running behind an offensive line where it looked like he was just running in mud. Barkley didn't have that same juice that we were used to seeing. The O-line was doing him no favors. So now to go out there and you you invest in Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal, and for him to go out there and really just, just look like the player that he was drafted as and showed that he can be, back in 2018 and even in 2019, it is a massive sign for the future outlook of the New York Giants. I, you, we're, we're not going to go in circles here with, with, with the Saquon hype because it's it's well-deserved and, and we've really hit on it here. I think if the Giants are going to do anything in the 2022 season, Saquon is going to be a huge part of it. Offensively, he single-handedly brought this team to within this game, even when it comes down to the two-point conversion that we're going to get into right now. On, on that play, it was just a little shovel to Saquon he, he's a couple yards from the end zone, and there's a flurry of defenders right in front of him. And what does Saquon do? He finds and wills his way into the end zone. I thought that was such a perfect encapsulation of this overcoming and just monster day for Saquon Barkley on the play that not only could have won the Giants the game, that did end up winning the Giants the game. It just showed that, like, okay, like, I don't care that I have a couple yards to go and three defenders in front of me. I'm getting in that end zone. And Saquon did, and it was just – just what a moment for Saquon. You could see the way he embraced Brian Dable right after that play, like going head first in for a big hug. And you could tell that was just Saquon lifting all of his demons from these last couple of years and just being like, okay, I'm back. I'm one of the best in the league. And, and it really showed. But the, the play that I'm mentioning here, that two-point conversion, Brian Dable, the Giants are down 20 to 19. There's a minute and six left in the game. And you're down, you're down one. You just got in the end zone. And, and here it is. You could kick this PAT and give the Titans uh, just over a minute left to potentially go kick a game-winning field goal, or then you could potentially have to play in overtime. Or you could do what Brian Dable chose to do and go for two there, put the game in the hands of your offense, in the hands of your best player, Saquon, and it ends up paying off. They get in, and they end up winning on a, a missed game-winning field goal from Randy Bullock. That pretty much is, is the story of this game because – things are so different if they don't get that two. Like it's it's Monday morning quarterbacking at its finest. Like if they don't get that two and they cost themselves a chance at at least playing for a win in overtime, Brian Table is being ripped to shreds and we're questioning his decision-making as head coach. But they get in and they win in regulation. So there's really not much to say on that matter. Besides, you got to love Dable playing for the win there. You got to love him having faith in his guys and it surely paid off. The, the faith in his guys was the biggest takeaway of that. This is week one of a rookie coach. For him to have faith in his guys of players who are still looking to prove themselves, a quarterback who's still looking to prove himself, I mean, that takes a lot of courage to draw up that play. And it was the perfect play, like you mentioned. Honestly, I wouldn't rather have anyone else but Saquon to, to, to run that ball in the end zone, especially on that Giants team. I mean, what other play are you going to run from that spot on the field? But I think also – like if you kick that PAT, it's just the history of the Giants over the last few years that, oh, great, they kick the PAT, they tie the game, Tennessee's going to come down the field, kick a field goal and win it. By put, making that two-point conversion, not only did you obviously cement the game, but you really just put the pressure on, on Tennessee. When was the last time you had a Giants coach willingly at the end of the game have a lead in their hands with less than two minutes to play and just keep putting the foot down 
on the other team. It just hasn't happened. Like that, that is just, it takes a lot of courage from Brian Dayball to do that. And I think it was great for the Giants. I, I think he's, Dayball has provided a new identity. And I think this is part of the identity. He's going to be aggressive. You know, there's obviously a plan in developing all these guys as a rookie head coach, but he wants to win now, obviously. And in that division, like we talked about last week, the Giants have an opportunity to do something if they can rattle off some wins. I mean, we're talking faith in your guys. We're one year removed from a Joe Judge-led team that need the ball down in his own red zone on a third and wall. I mean, voluntarily gave up the football because he had such little faith in his guys to move to move the rock. Like, that is what we're talking about just a year ago. And now you have Brian Dable throwing down the gauntlet and being like, we're going we're gonna to play to win this game. And that, he, that they did. So I, I can only commend them for it. I think a word that I really like that you mentioned is identity. I feel I, I just get the feel here and I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I believe the Giants won that won an early game in the Joe Judge era. And, and we felt really good about that. But I don't know. I, I feel something here with this Dable regime, just seeing the videos of the of the, the locker room after the game and just seeing the way he's embracing his players on the sideline. And, and even the way that that he it seemed like he ringed out Danny, Danny Jones after he threw that that horrendous interception, the the interception comes on the Tennessee eight yard line in the fourth quarter and not a touchdown. And he stares down Saquon and throws a brutal pick. Something that I feel like is defined Daniel Jones NFL career, just poor, poor decision-making. And you see them cut to the sideline and it's Dable just absolutely went like going off on Daniel Jones on the sideline. And I thought, you know what? It, it takes some stones to do that as a rookie head coach with a, a QB that's been around, but he's not a vet but he's been around a couple of years here. And for him to throw it down and be like, that is, unac- it, I can only paraphrase what I think he was saying, but that's unacceptable. You got to make a better read there. This is the fourth quarter of a winnable game here. And you're, I mean, anyone and their mother knew he was throwing to Saquon there. I've watched the playback a couple of times. His eyes did not leave Saquon. Like, like where is the progressions? Where is the reads? Like, like at least you got to look off your, your top guy there in, in a crucial situation there. He never did. And it was just a horrendous decision by Daniel Jones. And I feel like as great as Saquon was and and probably and has the chance to be this year, the Giants could be pulled back by their quarterback. And it's something I, I'm going to say it over and over. Daniel Jones, it's just the decision making I do not think is there for a high caliber starting quarterback in the NFL. And he he proves it right there. I mean, overall, if you look at the like if you just looked at the numbers. You'd be like, okay, Daniel Jones had, had had a solid day. He he played his part. He didn't hurt the team. 188 yards, uh, threw two touchdowns, and he, he, it was the one pick. He ran the ball six times, 25 yards. You know, it, it looks like just a typical, like not special, but not horrendous day from Daniel Jones. But it's that one play that could really change the narrative for the for the team's outcome. Could have easily cost them the game, and for his, because I think the Giants are really looking to see. If now in this crucial make or break year for Daniel Jones, he's going to be able to show an improved sense of decision-making. It was not there. I liked seeing that, that passion out of Dable on the sideline. I think that's just a sign of things to come with how Dable is going to run a tight ship. I think it's also a big thing that when Dable lays into him, you know, obviously you want to be hard on your guys, but I think there's a plan for Daniel Jones. Is there not? I mean, when Joe judge took over as head coach, he was like, all right, Daniel Jones, my franchise quarterback, he'll work out the, the kinks, you know, whatever never happened. Right. It never did. I mean, Brian Dable laying into him week one is just saying, Hey, look, there was a plan here for Daniel Jones to at least try and be the franchise quarterback after this year. And he's got to get his act together because not only does Dable want him, for this year to win. But you know what? If he could develop him into a really good quarterback, then all the credit to him. You look at Daniel Jones's numbers from the game on Sunday. I mean, they're definitely not bad. 17 for 21, 188 yards. He also rushed six times for 25 yards. I like the way he was able to use his feet and his legs and play action. There were at times he did manage the game well, in my opinion. But those, like I said, those reads are unacceptable. And at this level, this is year four, right, for Daniel Jones. Those reads are just not going to cut it. And I think Brian Dable lighting him up is just saying something in a positive way that there's a plan. They want Daniel Jones to succeed. Like we said last podcast, they will run him out of town if the Giants had a bad year. But Brian Dable, he believes in his guys. He wants them to do well. And I think him lighting up Daniel Jones is like, hey, listen, that can't make sure that never happens again. Go win us a football game. And eventually he was able to get the Giants down the field with some help from Saquon. And they were able to get it done. So again, it's little victories in that game for Daniel Jones. You know, he throws the pick. They were able to win the game. He was able to get the team down the field. 
So good on him. Small victory right there coming off of a big mistake. I think that's good for the developmental uh, process of Daniel Jones. Um, but we'll see. Again, it's week one. There's been a lot of exciting week ones. I think this was the first week one victory the Giants have had, I think, in like six or seven years. It's been a while. I, I yeah. saw a, a pretty dooming stat. It was, it was a bunch of offers in September yeah. to so start. Look, look, it's a reason to get excited. Don't get me wrong, but it's week one. But I think there's a good plan in place. They had clearly there is good coaching and we'll see what happens going down the line. But again, good start for the Giants and, you know, happy to see the fan reaction was great, too. So, you know, it, it's awesome to see Giants fans at least happy for one week <laughs> this year. D- deservedly so. It feels like a lot of Giants seasons in recent memory have been over before they started. And they went out there and, and got a nice come from behind victory in week one. Uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say on this game before we move on to the other New York football team, the the Titans sacked the quarterback five times, whereas the Giants only did once. I think that's just something to look forward to in a, in a potentially positive way for the Giants because they were without Aziz Ojulari and Kayvon Thibodeau. So the one thing that the defense was lacking was a, a consistent pass rush, and that should be coming back, if not next week, in upcoming weeks. So that is something that you you would like to think will improve for the Giants, being able to put more pressure. And that seems like that was a reason why Ryan Tannehill was really able to move the ball the way he was able to was because he had time, not because he was making special plays. At the end of the day, it's, it's Ryan Tannehill. And if they were able to put that more pressure on them, if they had a fully healthy defensive line, I think this game could look even better for the Giants. But this this upcoming week, week two, they host the Carolina Panthers, the the 0-1 Panthers who just lost at home to the Browns. So I, I, I think it's it's more than fair to say this is, this is a winnable game for the Giants. I mean, um, it, it sounds crazy that you're looking forward here and it's like, could this be a 2-0 Giants start? But like, there's no reason why I don't think they could go out at home. Now you come back home after, after now you don't want them to ride this high too high and then potentially have a letdown game. But I think the Carolina Panthers, especially the way Baker looked. I mean, this is a guy that we both really felt good about coming into this year. He's certainly disappointed. I think the Giants have a winnable week two matchup with Carolina. Absolutely. And I think it's big. You come home um, in your home building. The fans are excited to be there. Uh, you know, the goal for every football team is you want to make your home, home stadium a hard place to play. And that just hasn't been the case because Giants fans have been so fed up over the last couple of years. Now you have this opportunity against a Carolina team that honestly, like, you know, I did pick him to make a wild card, but Baker Mayfield looked very, very, I won't use the word mediocre, but he was Pedestrian. very average in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, if that, right? It, it just, he didn't look, he didn't look like the number one overall pick Baker Mayfield, the mature Baker Mayfield that he was in his rookie year. So that was a little shocking. Um, I know a lot of us picked Carolina to beat Cleveland, but, you know, look, that's the case. It is what it is. And it's good for the Giants because now you you have a, a Carolina team who just came off a tough loss. And, you know, Baker Mayfield's going to be thinking about that one. I mean, he's got one of the bigger egos in the league, and he's going to have to shake that one off if he wants any chance to beat the Giants, who I think, in my opinion, really need to ride this momentum um, to really put up a good fight against the really middle-of-the-pack Carolina team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's it's a game that Giants fans should now have the mentality, let's let's go take this one and, and start 2-0. That's, that's really what it comes down to. But it is the other football team in New York that did not start the season with similar momentum as the Giants. And that will be the New York Jets, who lost by a score of 24 to 9 to the Baltimore Ravens on their home field. And wow, was this not the the type start that the New York Jets could have used on on really all accounts. Um, Joe Flacco looked like an aging quarterback out of his prime. There was just a straight-up lack of mobility there. And when you have an offensive line that is without one of its best members in Mekhi Becton for the year, and then is without their replacement for Mekhi Becton and Dwayne Brown, who after our episode was put on IR, targeting a week five return, there was just a lack of stability in the pass protection. And Joe Flacco does not have the means to be able to overcome that. He just does not have the mobility that you would have if you had your starting quarterback, Zach Wilson, out there. And Flacco was getting roughed up the entire game. I mean, Baltimore defense had three sacks and 11 QB hits, and he was under constant pressure this entire game. And it really showed because the Jets were really never able to get anything going offensively. They were very stagnant. They were never to really just get a flow. That's something that Robert Salas specifically said. They were just really never to be able to get into the flow of what their offense tries to do. And it against a team like Baltimore, that's going to be stout on both sides of the ball. You're just not going to be able to overcome that. And it was just, just a sloppy performance 
You have just your defense. I got to say, the one thing that I was excited about was the defense sort of came out with a bang. It, they, they actually had me thinking positively a little bit. You come out there and Quan Alexander lays a big hit and you have your cornerbacks really sauce Gardner makes a great red zone play on Mark Andrews to break up a, to break up a potential touchdown. And I'm like, okay, the defense is flying today. Now that at the end in, in the second half, they get burned for a couple big ones, Rashad Bateman, Devin Duvernay. But the positive on that note is that it was on not their two starting corners. It was more guys like Bryce Hall and, and Michael Carter, the second that were sort of getting burned. If you look into it, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, the Jets' two starting cornerbacks, on nine targets actually only allowed one catch and eight yards in this game. So it was not your top guys in the secondary that were really giving up this action. But at the end of the day, these are guys on the field that were susceptible. And it seemed that Lamar was aware of that, targeted them. And, and that's what ended up happening. They, they really just got exposed a few times for some big plays. And it way outdid the good that you saw at the beginning with that Jets defense. It was just so disappointing to see that in the first quarter and even the first half of the second quarter, honestly, it looked like Baltimore was kind of afraid of the Jets defense a little bit. I mean, they were running a lot of plays out of the backfield. The Jets defense came up with some big stops. You mentioned DJ Reed, Sauce Gardner. DJ Reed had a great game, didn't allow a catch, and he had a pick on six targets. And you're like, okay, you know, the Jets have something here with this defense. But if you're not getting points, the defense can only keep this up for so long. Right. And I mean, you know, Joe Flacco just like you said, he looked like he was experiencing signs of an aging quarterback. Now, the positive out of this is that you could say, okay, well, how much difference would it have made if Zach Wilson was healthy and playing week one? I mean, I think it would make a pretty big difference in that game. I think the game would be a lot closer and I think it would have given the Jets a better chance to win. But clearly, I mean, that offense was just not doable against a, a very solid Baltimore defense. And Again, it was only a matter of time before Lamar Jackson started to figure it out. So, you know, he knew where to throw. Lamar Jackson did, especially into that great secondary that the Jets have. The offense just didn't look that good. And, you know, Robert Sala, you know, saying the stuff about taking receipts uh, on people who are going to mock his team. Look, uh, I get it. You want to motivate your guys. But the league deserves to mock you when you when you're losing like this. I think Robert Sala's coached what 18 games as a, as a, a Jets head coach. Nine of them he has lost by double digits. I mean, what is there to prove when your offense can't score? Your defense, even though is pretty solid, got figured out and exposed. You mentioned it. Two guys right there exposed in the secondary. It's just that's just it is what it is, right? So you know. For Robert Sala to say that, I get he's trying to motivate his guys, but look, put up more than nine points if, if you really want to start taking receipts here because that is just a pathetic offensive performance. Honestly, I don't care who the quarterback is. You have Joe Flacco. I get it. He's a veteran quarterback. And, you know, I was listening to Joe Beningo yesterday, and he brought up a decent point that I kind of agree with but kind of disagree with. Mike White obviously had that great performance last year. Is sitting on the bench, young quarterback. Do, do you think that – the Jets are kind of afraid that if White goes out there and puts up, you know, maybe two of those really good performances back-to-back and say, okay, like, we might have to go away from Zach Wilson here. Because I think Mike White deserves a chance to start one of these games, don't you think? I would not have minded Mike White getting in the game. And when Robert Sal was asked about Mike White, he did say it's a fluid, open situation at quarterback, and they're not committing themselves to Joe Flacco for the duration of the Zach Wilson absence. But I do not think that the reason why they're not going to white is because they're concerned about not being able to pivot back to Zach. I mean, he did have that just I mean, it was a special performance against the Bengals last year. It was it was truly one of the more bizarre performances I've seen in football in recent memory. But at the end of the day, his tenure sort of did end up getting exposed there shortly after that. I mean, he did. He did not look good in the following game against against the Colts and the Bills like he threw four picks in week 10 against Buffalo last year. I know that's a great defense, but they were going, the Ravens are just as credible of, of a team. So it, it comes down to, I, I don't think that's the concern. I think white sort of proved that he's a sort of a one game, just like spark plug that, that can go out there and do some things, but like, he's never going to be the long-term guy, but getting back to the Sal comments, he, he said, quote, we're all taking receipts on the people who continue to mock and say, we aren't going to do anything. And I'm going to take, I'll play devil's advocate on it. He's been getting tons of hate online for these comments. And when you do have four wins in your first 18 games of football coach, you're going to get that type of reaction. 
But we were talking about believing in your guys and rallying. And, and I think this was a play towards his locker room. I think this was a play towards we don't care about the outside noise. Say what you want, but you're going to regret it when we come out here and show what we can do. And, and I like that out of Salah, to be honest with you, considering that like, I am a Jets fan and, and he's sort of playing towards towards me when he makes these types of comments. It did not rub me the wrong way. I liked hearing the just the oozing confidence about what they're doing over there. And it's hard to get up there on a microphone after just getting walloped by one of the best teams in the league to start your season and, and say stuff like that. So I commend him for having the confidence to make that type statement. But at the end of the day, it needs to get backed up on the field. It really does. 100% agree. I mean, that is a full-blown locker room boost. Try to get the fans behind you. And look, if the Jets only win three games, I mean, even Jets fans are going to mock the whole taking receipts thing. So it needs to get done on the field. You're 100% right. I hope it motivates the players. I really do. Because at this point, you know, I bring up the Mike White thing uh, just in case, like, I feel like the Jets need to show a little desperation on offense. Don't you think? I mean, if Joe Flacco has another bad game week two, you really need to stick with him? Uh, no, I, I don't think you can. If he looks like he did week one, I think you ought to pull the plug and just try something new. Like, yeah. Not that Mike White's going to be better, but like y- you don't know that for sure, but you got to at least try. Because Joe yeah. Flacco just looked he, – he looked ancient back there. He, could, can't, he can't move, roll out of the pocket. He, he doesn't have the arm strength that he used to, and, and, and it really showed. I mean, yeah, I, I think the, the, the whole Robert Salad thing could be concluded with – You've made this big statement now. You have atta- you've attracted the attention of the, the national media now. This is not a New York thing anymore. I, I, I'm on Twitter. I'm active. I'm, I'm watching sports talk, national and local. This is a thing now. And now there are going to be more eyes than there were before this. So you better go out there. And you're, you're playing the Cleveland Browns here in week two without Deshaun Watson. This, uh, I'm not going to go out there and guarantee that you've got to win the game. But this better be a competitive performance, and this better, at a minimum, be a better offensive showing because this was totally unacceptable. Yeah, look, this is either going to turn out to be a really, really good thing or a really, really bad thing. I hope it's a good thing. Um, Do I think it's going to be a good thing by the end of the season? No, I don't. And, you know, I hope that there's some desperation in that coaching staff and in that offense somewhere. And I think the desperation just got translated to the players, which I think is a good thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to – Okay, we have a really good defense. Is there a plan? We got to make a plan here on offense to try and get this team going. Because if it doesn't happen, then you know you bring Zach Wilson back week four, week five, whatever it is, and the season's already lost because Zach Wilson isn't going to go out there and win you ten games himself. So no. you know, I I I hope the comment works, but I just don't think it will. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this could be a tenure-defining comment by Robert Sala and how the team responds after this. I, I really think that's what it comes down to here. Yeah. I, I think when, when you make a comment of that magnitude, I mean, if you look further in the comments, he called the pre-Joe Douglas Jets worse than an expansion team. Now, those are comments that I think I could be a little more concerned with considering that there probably are some 2019 Jets on this current roster and still in the league. So that's an interesting shot that you're sort of taking at the guys that were a part of that team. I was not thrilled with that type of comment. I know he was trying to commend his general manager, Joe Douglas, for the job he's doing, which I think you could undeniably say he's overturned the talent, the talent of the roster in these last three years. But not that's not something you go public with, in my opinion. I think that I'm sort of surprised that comment has not gained more traction, considering that you could be taking shots at guys that you're you're trying to rally in your own locker room. But nevertheless, he went out there and threw his neck on the line for this team. One last thing I want to get in with the Jets here. I just thought some of the the offensive usage was, was interesting. I mean, they went out there and they, they have two running backs now with Michael Carter and Brees Hall. They have a receiving core of Elijah Moore, Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson. You bring in two tight ends, CJ Uzoma and Tyra Conklin there. I was interested to see how the usage would be just the target share week one. Just give me a little feel of how they're going to or operate this offense. And they, they did say that they came out and said, Michael Carter is going to have a huge role in this offense. Brees Hall was a high-end second-round pick in this coming draft. And when you use that type of draft capital on a running back, you expect him to be the workhorse. But considering Michael Carter did look good last year, he was a fourth-round pick, but he looked good. He, he definitely has a lot of ability. And it is Brees Hall's first game in the pros, and it's going to be his first – it's his rookie year. I do expect them to sort of, as the season goes on, it's going to be sort of a Michael Carter's usage comes down and Brees Hall's goes up with time. I think the bye is a good time to look for Brees Hall to really take over that's typically when rookie running backs really take over that extra week of off time. But Brees Hall was outtouched by Michael Carter. That's fine. It wasn't a crazy 
split either way, but Brees Hall did have six catches. That That's something I really like. He's a guy that in his college career showed he could come out of the backfield and catch the football. I like to see that. But the, the receiving use was a little interesting. I did not like, I mean, Garrett Wilson felt like there was some pivotal moments where I'm like, why is Garrett Wilson not on the field? The one time they put the ball in his hands on that third and long, he catches the ball essentially at the line of scrimmage, makes a couple guys miss and brings it to like fourth and inches. They decide to punt it. That, that was an interesting moment there where Sal really could have flipped the tides on that game after the momentum of a nice Garrett Wilson making something out of nothing play, and then they end up punting that football back. I think Garrett Wilson needs to get a, get a little bit more involved. I think Elijah Moore needs to be used in more creative ways. This is a guy that use him in the backfield, use him on some trickery. Elijah Moore is as well-rounded as a guy as you could get when it comes to what he could do. So I'd like to see maybe a little less Corey Davis. Corey Davis showed some of his concerns last year with, with his drops, and right there, there was a, a third down and you had the first down and right, right out of the hands, the ball was a little behind him, but that's a ball you got to be kept. That has to be caught. You're the you, you got paid to make that type catch. Like, like you're, you're a vet. You're actually on a legit contract here. You got to make that type play. He, he was only out targeted Corey Davis by Brees Hall, which, which I love, I love the Brees Hall targets, but Corey Davis being the highest targeted Jets receiver is something that I think for the future of this Jets offense, with their two up and coming wide receivers. I'd like to see it a little differently. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think it was the first or second drive where he had that pass a little behind him and he dropped it. Uh, you got to make that catch. I mean, Am I wrong? Uh, no, that's an NFL. Like, if you're in the NFL, you got to make that catch. I mean, I know it's a little behind you. I get it. But your job when you get paid to be a number one receiver or get paid to be a number one receiver is to make the plays. Not all of it's going to be on the quarterback. You got to go make the plays yourself. And Corey Davis, like he proved last year, too many drops. Made another pivotal drop on a third down where it could have just easily, like just these little building blocks on offense that you're trying to put together. The Jets on offense, building blocks wise, I mean, zero really. Change the course of the game. That's a first down. You get some momentum. You start moving the right. football. You got you to gotta bring that one in and, and have your quarterbacks back there, have your teams back there. Yeah. Nothing. Just, there's just no building blocks on the Jets offense from a receiver core that, you know, I think you and I can agree on you know, can, can make plays and get stuff done. They just couldn't do it um, in week one. So you hope it happens again week two. But again, uh, you know, I hope there's some desperation in that locker room. I think there is because of Salah's comments, because now they got to back up their coach, which can really backfire on them by the end of the season. But, you know, that's the Jets. I, I think we kind of know what we're getting out of them. And, you know, we kind of got to wait to see what happens. It's going to be a big uh, mystery box until Zach Wilson comes back. Yep. Week two, they go to Cleveland to take on the Browns with, the, at least the Jacoby Brissett version of the Browns. So I think this becomes a game where you have to, at a minimum, this has to be a competitive football game and you need to see more signs of life out of the offense. So that's really what I'm going to be looking out for. I mean, the Browns have some playmakers. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt ran all over them. Like those are two of the best pure runners in the league. And, and you're going to have to deal with that fact. But I, my eyes are going to be on Matt LaFleur and how he actually changes the game plan for this offense in week two, because at the end of the day, you want to at least have some positive thing going when Zach gets back because it's not going to help Zach's case if he has to come back into an offense that's done nothing for four weeks. You want to at least have a good idea of your personnel and, and the plays that are working and the and just what could actually get the ball moving down the field because we certainly saw none of it in week one, but it's 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 got to be better. Now, the he just started a ticking time bomb with those comments, and it could explode as early as next week if they go out there and lay up another dud. Yeah, but that, that's really it for the Jets. I think the the New York football teams gave us something. They both gave us something to look forward to in week two, whether it be continuing the momentum of the Giants or looking for a big time bounce back in the Jets. But we're going to keep our eyes there and, and we'll make sure that we're giving you all the latest in, in New York football week in, week out. But it you can't pass up on just this crazy week one slate in the NFL. It seems like week one, year after year, you have these teams that come out with, with a fresh mindset. It's a new season and they go and take it to some teams that many thought were going to have a, a better, a better team and a better week one performance. And, and you saw it all over the place. You have the Atlanta Falcons take the saints to the brinks, uh, a 17, three fourth quarter in favor of the saints pulls them out. They squeak out a one point win in Atlanta. You have the Chicago bears throw a crazy upset in, in a rain game in the, the fields. Looked, they, they could have been playing at splish splash. For all I know, it was, I mean, that the, the, the post-game video of the Bears diving into this water slide of a field was, was absolutely electric. Justin Fields gets a great week one win over the 49ers. I mean, you have the Steelers going to the defending champ, 
Cincinnati Bengals and steal defending AFC champ Cincinnati Bengals and steal a win. You have you have um the Colts and the Houston Texans tie. Do not get me started on that game. That's gonna be the first game we talk about. Like I said, like we mentioned, the Giants upset the Titans and and just a crazy and and how can you not bring up the Monday night football, the Seattle Seahawks spoil Russell Wilson's homecoming and they squeak out with a one point win on their home field. But out of all those games, it was the Colts and the Houston Texans tie that made my blood boil. I'm going to be honest with you. They were my pick in both of my survivor pools. Looking back, why would I take the same team in both? I don't know. I really like the Colts. I, we, we talked about it. I thought they were just a really well-rounded team, both like offensively, defensively coaching. I felt really confident about everything they were doing. I thought they'd come out with a little bit more fire in Matt Ryan's first game as a Colt. And here they are. They're down 17 going into the fourth quarter. And they're able to stage a miraculous comeback. I mean, they take this game to overtime when I thought that was they, – they went down the field, field goal, stop, touchdown, stop, touchdown. Like, it was – like, that was the team that I was expecting. And Rodrigo Blankenship misses the game winner in overtime, which just felt like the story of week one in the NFL. You had kickers missing big field goals left and right. Evan McPherson, Chris Boswell, Randy Bullock. Rodrigo Blankenship, the list goes on and on. And, and this game ends in a tie. And that really hurt because I was so excited this year about my survivor pools. And to know now that that has been taken from me in week one because of a tie, it, it, it hurts, Harris. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Well, there's a reason why I didn't enter it in the first place. <laughs> and no, I mean, listen, they made Davis Mills look like the second coming of, uh, of Peyton Manning. I mean, oh my God, like what were they doing? And then you got, you know, MVP caliber, Jonathan Taylor on that offense. They just couldn't get anything done. It was like, oh God, my is, goodness. Is Jonathan Taylor I mean, good. He I is. Mean, he's incredible. I mean, he, but you know, look, it's the NFL. It can't be a one man ship. Right. I mean, I don't know what was going wrong. That, that was one game that, you know, I, I unfortunately didn't have my eyes all over. Obviously, as it got late, I did because I saw the Colts come back and I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is the Colts that everyone expected to happen. But man, the Texans really who who all offseason long, by the way, was just all Deshaun Watson, this Deshaun Watson, that nobody gave me a name of a player on the team in any of their <laughs> offseason recaps because all they talked about was Deshaun Watson. It was like, what the hell are we doing? Right. Uh, but for them to come in, look, I give them credit, right? Not a great football team, but you know what? They were able to make it a tie. And for the, again, to blow that lead in the fourth quarter, I don't care what team you are. It's not acceptable. But uh, I'm glad to see that we got some competitiveness here. So that was one game that I really felt, man, like, thank God I didn't enter the survival pool. That's one. Then you, I think the most intriguing game, in my opinion, was uh, steelers Bengals. I mean, Joe Burrow with the, with the four picks and, uh, you know, the turnovers and, and the blocked, what was it? The blocked extra point to send the game to overtime. Yeah. I mean, yes. unbelievable. You can't draw that up. I mean, that no. was incredible. And, and for Mitch Trubisky to get a win in his first game as a Steelers quarterback. I mean, that was something really special. I mean, that's a game where you're like, okay, you know, Joe Burrow's going to come out. He's going to be the big Joe cool, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then he throws four picks against the Steelers team that again is, you know, they remind me kind of as a little bit of a better version of Carolina. I think they're very average, right? But they go out there and they were, they were, in my opinion, they were able to steal a game because of the, in my opinion, the Bengals lost that game. Now there's, there's, I mean, we talked about it, potential Super Bowl hangover. That is actually out of all we, in our first week of not playing picks, the only one that hit out of my picks and your picks was I had the Bengals covering the spread and they were able to win outright. But part of my reasoning there was the fact that I think there's going to be a little bit of, of a hangover coming up the Super Bowl. You're playing at home. It's going to be the highest of highs. Are they going to be able to live up to that type hype coming up considering the last game they played was the Super Bowl. I thought the Bengals were just a really solid team, like, like on both sides, like you said, you called them average. I just think they're solid. Like Mike Tomlin is, is a great coach and they obviously have some great playmakers on defense. I know they lost TJ Watt to a big injury, which severely is going to hinder what they're trying to do, but I like the Steelers to keep this thing close. And it turns out they're able to pull it out. So good, good on the Steelers, good on Mitch Trubisky. I mean, he he's went through a lot there being a failure in Chicago. And then he sat behind Josh Allen last year with, with Brian Dable and he was able to land this gig and, and, and good for them. I think I, I saw the Steelers keeping this thing close, but, but winning outright on the road is definitely better than you could have asked for. If you're Pittsburgh, I mean, an, another game, the San Francisco 49ers, this is a team that I picked, 
to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. This does not have me moving off that whatsoever, considering it was just a bizarre football game. But another one, like, like Justin Fields coming into a big year two, similar to Zach Wilson, sort of all these year two quarterbacks are entering interesting points in their careers, considering you had a Trey Lance didn't play and Justin Fields, Trevor Warren, and Zach Wilson sort of disappointed. And, and Mac Jones was the best of the group, but like, how confident really are you in him bringing you a Super Bowl championship? So a lot to show and, and Justin Fields, and it, it seemed like this was the type of game that he capitalized in with some, with some bad terrain. He used his legs and, and that's just, just a win there at home. I mean, we, I mentioned survivor pools, survivor pools were reeling after this week with the amount of upsets. I mean, I know in the one that, that you were referencing, the one that, that I'm running half, half the, the field is already gone. So, I mean, that, that's what it is. Good, good for fields there. And in a battle of year two quarterbacks, actually, in that game, the 49ers just weren't really able to muster anything. Debo was not able to look like the explosive player he was last year. Brandon Ayuk was just good for one play. They were without George Kittle, which I don't think you could underestimate. He's sort of the heartbeat of that offense. And having a guy like him, he sort of seems like the perfect guy, actually, to play through some bad weather and be able to, to just get down and dirty, block, do the dirty work. But nevertheless, the Bears are able to pull it out there in, in surprising fashion. I think that was a game that if you mentioned the terrain, like if you're playing in that, you know, San Francisco, you're playing in, you know, bright, sunny Northern California, like the Bears are supposed to win that game. Uh, even though they were down, you know, I don't think they had a, what they not have any points until the third quarter or something like that. You know, Justin Fields is able to make a nice little comeback. It was a good spark for the Bears. Uh, you know, the NFL is, is good when, when the Bears can actually win some games. I think that's a, uh, a good win for the Bears. Obviously, you know, I was hard on Trey Lance. I was hard on the 49ers last week on the podcast. And you know what? Could that prove a point that I made? Sure. I don't think it's going to fully prove a point. Uh, you know, if Jeremy Garoppolo was in that game, do things change? Uh, they could, but not much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, again, Trey Lance is his first game. You know, he's going to knock out the kinks now. And then, you know, the season goes on from there. So that's another game that I think was unexpected. Another unexpected game that I think, that you could easily back up reason for is Aaron Rodgers. Wasn't able to get anything done with his, you know, sort of new receiving core against a Vikings team that, you know, overall, honestly, looked pretty solid. I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers is still getting used to his new receivers. So for him to only put up seven points was really uncharacteristic of the Packers. So, you know, Minnesota was able to pull that one out. But there were a lot of teams that were able to put up some good fights that – were unexpected. For example, Jacksonville, you know, that was a good game that they, that they played against Washington. They lost by six. The Falcons, you mentioned, had an easy chance to win that game. I think another shocker was, but to prove to your point last week was the Dolphins over the Patriots. I think that, you know, the Patriots just didn't do enough in the off season and against a Dolphins team that has, I guess, a little bit of a higher expectation than a lot of people might think went out there and, you know, really exposed the Patriots, just like the Patriots got exposed in that last playoff game that they played last year. So I think that's a big thing um, for that division. It's kind of to say not only to the NFL, but the Patriots fans specifically, it's like, okay, like this team is just, you know, just be prepared. Like, it's just not as good as you think it's going to be. No, I, I like a lot of those teams you just touched on there, starting with that Vikings Packers game, two teams that I have both in the playoffs. I think you immediately saw the impact of Kevin O'Connell and what he was able to do with the offense. I mean, Justin Jefferson's a guy that has looked like a total stud in his first two years, but he comes out in week one of this year and drops open nine receptions, 184 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, we're talking like it would not surprise me whatsoever if he was the highest paid receiver in football in a couple of years when he's eligible. I mean, he just looks totally unstoppable. He's a monster. Uh, considering I have him on one of my fantasy teams, I could proudly one of my dynasty teams. So I'll have him for hopefully his entire career. I could say that this guy is just an absolute pleasure to watch. You saw the impact there with the Packers. I mean, we talked about it. They lost Devontae Adams. You're now dealing with just sort of a cast of, of younger, more inexperienced receivers. We even saw Rogers make some post-game comments about his receivers, specifically referring to, I, I mean, probably his rookies, Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson. I know Watson dropped the ball. That could have resulted in a touchdown, but it did not seem like Devontae was missing him too much. I know the Raiders weren't able to pull out that win over the Chargers, but Devontae did what Devontae does. He had 10 catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown. So Devontae's doing fine. You mentioned the Dolphins, Tyreek Hill, another guy. But that relationship seems to be a little more even right there because the Chiefs were still able to go out and be absolute, just, just a juggernaut of an offense like they usually are. Patty Mahomes throws for five touchdowns. They 
just wow up the Cardinals 44 to 21. But Tyreek Hill was also still able to look like himself in Miami. The, the Patriots are a team that I said would underwhelm this year. The Dolphins went out and made one of the signature splashes of the offseason, getting Tyreek Hill to pair him with Jalen Waddell, and it really paid dividends. Even though Tua Tagovailoa could be a little bit limited in what he's able to do with pushing the ball downfield, he was able to get the ball in Tyreek's hand eight times. Jalen Waddell's four for a score. I, I mean, th- those are as dynamic and just versatile receivers as you're going to see in the NFL. And I think it sort of shows that the Dolphins have bigger aspirations than the Patriots are going to gonna this year i think the vikings showed that this is going to be a big time division battle in that nfc north i do like the the packers are not going to run away with this i mean it, it just takes one week for, for that narrative to change and aaron Rodgers could easily do what he does and just flip the switch and look like the reigning two-time mvp that he is but i think it's more of an this was more of an indictment on the vikings and the packers i'm not worried about the packers but i think the vikings showed that they're here to play and this new vamped up offense that they have is legit it's different. It's definitely different. I mean, Justin Jefferson has that big game. I mean, you look at the way the offense kind of spread out. I mean, Adam Thielen's been one of your better secondary receivers for a while. He only had three catches for 36 yards. And I honestly think it's a good thing. You know, this is so different. I think the coach has really done a nice job. And again, like we said last podcast, Kirk Cousins has something to prove. And I think if you can get him in a wild card and you can get him to win a playoff game, that would be huge for him and the Vikings just to, you know, listen, the Packers are a juggernaut as long as they have Aaron Rodgers and as long as they have that defense, we know that. But I do think that Kirk Cousins proves something, and I think he's got a lot to prove here coming down during the season. Now to the other guys that you mentioned, um, Patty Mahomes and Devontae Adams, look, I'll take 30 points on fantasy from Devontae and 35 from Mahomes all day. That's great. But I look at Las Vegas and say, man, like that. So that's a big change that they've made. I mean, Devontae had 10 for 141 and a touchdown, but the way they run the ball is just so different now. I mean, Josh Jacobs only ran for 57 yards. And then we touched on, they got the new running back. And, you know, I just didn't like the way the Raiders defense particularly looked against the Chargers. I know Justin Herbert's really good, but I think that was a, a, a game that Vegas, if you were looking at last year, was supposed to win. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, this is a battle of teams that were supposed to, they, they were very tight last year. They played some good games. They, this year, they're expected to both be competitive very much so in the AFC playoff picture. And, and the Chargers were sort of able to show that they are, they're the better team as of right now. I, I mean, it was, it was a close enough game. They, it, it wasn't one of those runaway trains that the Chargers have the, the ability to be. So limiting them to the 24 points is not particularly awful, but if you're the Raiders, you, you definitely would have liked to, to show that you're going to be just as competitive in the AFC West that does have Patrick Mahomes, that does have this, this supposed offensive force that is the Chargers and does have now the, the Russell Wilson-led Broncos, who, who definitely disappointed last night. But just before we move over completely, I got to sing the praises of Justin Jefferson really fast. In his rookie year, he goes for 1,400 receiving yards. In his second year, he goes for 1,600. He, he dropped almost 200 in week one of this season. Are, are we in store for a 2,000-yard season from Justin Jefferson? It's possible. I think it's really possible. You look at the, you know, the progression, obviously. And I think the way the offense is spread out this year with Kirk Cousins and, uh, and McConnell being the coach, like, look, Justin Jefferson could go for 2000. I think he could possibly go for, you know, 22 or 20 or 22, 2300. Honestly. I mean, I think he is that good. He's good with his legs. I mean, it's a second coming of some generational talent that the Vikings have. I think this is a good thing, but you know, the Vikings are obviously, you know, good in that department. Let's turn it over to the two primetime games that we had back-to-back Sunday and Monday. Um, and we'll start, I guess we'll start with last night, um, Broncos Seahawks. I mean, <laughs> love the energy in that. Pete Carroll hyping up the guys all week. Russell Wilson Seattle was back. buzzing for that game. Yeah, I mean, I think the DBs were over 100 at one point. Love that ESPN had the, uh, the uh, I don't know what you call it, the, the thing that measures the DBs in the crowd, let's just call it. Um, it got over 100 at points. I mean, that place was electric. Geno Smith, I mean, come on. I mean, I know he only put up 17 points for you, but it was something, it, it was something pretty cool to see for sure. And that defense, that Seahawks defense looked like, I mean, they were playing with their hair on fire. Yeah, they really were. I mean, we know when they were, you know, they went to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl, and then went back to the Super Bowl and lost to New England. You know, that swarm defense that they had. I mean, they looked like they kind of looked like one of those teams last uh, last night. No, they 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 knew what they were playing for. They knew Russ was coming to town. The fans were aware they were the the fans. I, I think there was at least two, maybe three false starts. That just shows how Seattle, it is one of the most raucous environments in football, and they were able to get 
even Russell Wilson, a guy that's has all the familiarity in the world of playing there off his game. But it, it was just one of those things. I mean, like if we're going to talk about this game I and mean, we're going to have to discuss Nathaniel Hackett's decision to not go for it on fourth and five, you just trade one of the biggest, you just make one of the biggest trades in week history and give this man over $200 million to then opt to kick a 64 yard field goal instead of give Russell Wilson the ball for five yards. Like that is just one of the more bizarre coaching decisions I've seen. This is Hackett's coaching debut. And you go out there and you put that ball in the hands of your kicker for the second longest field goal in NFL history, as opposed to a five yard play with Russell Wilson. What, what are we doing? Well, I think the clock management was so poor in that last minute of the fourth quarter. I don't know if you're watching the Madden cast last night, but I loved the, the clip and it's on Twitter of, you know, I think, uh, before the third down play, it was like 55 seconds left. Peyton's like, all righty, we're calling a timeout. We're yeah, calling timeout. And he's just going like this for 30 seconds. The timeout never comes. The clock just keeps running. It's third down and you're still in your own zone. It's like, what are you doing? Right? I mean, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, Russell Wilson's prime, look, he's had many magnificent fourth quarter drives in his great career. What, I mean, what's going on there? I mean, you're milking the clock down for what? One play to, to get to your kicker of all people? Come on. And and for it to be a 64-yard shot, I would I get it if it's like a 30, 30 or 40-yard shot. Of course. But to go go long like that when you have a franchise quarterback and Russell Wilson who's a Five big yards. Man, who's been there, done that kind of guy, he needs to make one play and it's over. I mean, you win the game if he makes one big play, but you set him up for failure by milking the clock like that. They end up using the timeout after running the 30 seconds run. So they use the timeout anyway. Just Nathaniel Hackett, that was not the start to your coaching career that I'm sure you were looking for because that was just true. Between the clock management and then the play call, I think he is going to be heavily in question there. But, I mean, the primetime games, like you mentioned, I mean, we're going to have to hit on Dallas. I mean, you lose Dak Prescott now for it was like six to eight weeks. You have to think they become a prime contender for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, this is a team that I was already not high on. You lose Amari Cooper, you lose Lyle Collins, you lose Randy Gregory. I did not think this team was as good as last year. And it, and it showed with, with Tom Brady sort of just, just this game really never even felt competitive for the most part. That's a, it was mostly, I'd say that Buccaneers defense that just has talent up and down. They, they really helped. They kept the Dallas offense at May for the duration of the game. And then losing Dak Prescott was just the slap to the face that Dallas did not need. They're now, as of right now, Cooper Rush is probably their guy and they are, in deep trouble. If they don't make a move, I think things are, are very murky. No. And, and, you know, Dak has been hurt a lot and to have Cooper rush step in there would just be just such a Debbie downer on a season when, you know, the expectations for the Cowboys are just always so high because of this combination of Dak and Zeke and yada, yada, yada. I mean, does it not make sense for Dallas to go after Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, I mean they the, gotta, I mean, look at the track. I mean, Jerry Jones, you know, needs to invest in his team here. Right. Like if Dak Prescott's going to be out six to eight weeks, who knows? You get Jimmy G, who's going to be a backup anyways. You let him play the best six weeks of his life, and Dak comes back, and you want to flip Jimmy Garoppolo for something even be- even bigger when Dak comes back? Go for it. But, I mean, this is a perfect scenario where Jimmy Garoppolo can just land in Dallas at a good point. And, you know, the whole trade stuff is just a conversation for another time. But they need to make this happen now. I mean, if Dallas wants any chance at winning this division where, you know, the Eagles look like, they could run away with it, although, look, the Lions put up a good fight. And, you know, the Giants, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. Washington, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Dallas needs to do something because every single year, it's always, what can the Cowboys do? When are they finally going to win a championship? And it just hasn't happened. So I think it just makes too much sense for Jimmy Garoppolo to come in. Touching on Tom Brady, um, it did take him a little while to get going. I love that he still got the fight at 45 years old, yelling at his linemen. It's different for him. Look. He lo- that offensive line is so different. Oh, you yeah. know, the new center, you know, I think, I don't remember what the center's name is, but, you know, I think he only had one series with him in preseason. So a lot of unfamiliarity there. It was Pro Bowler Ryan Jensen who went down. Yes, Ryan Jensen was out. I, I forget the the new guy that they have in there. But, uh, yeah, it's it's different for Tom. He was able to work it out, show his true brilliance. He even acknowledged it post-game that there's definitely a lot to – improve on and he's still got a lot to prove at 45 years old which he said so you know being here in bucks land currently you know there's a lot of excitement here um a little confused. julio jones julio jones julio. i mean you know that's something i totally forgot to bring up i mean you were using him in all aspects of the offense you had him you know catching the deep ball you had him making plays out of the backfield too it was like oh my god like 
Come on. Like Julio's from the past. Yeah. He's kind of resurrected his career a little bit, you know, albeit it's one game, but I think it's a good thing. You get him in that offense with Tom Brady. He's finally got such a good receiving core. Now. I mean, you never know what the bucks can do with Tom Brady. And now that they have Julio Jones is really like this subtle little X factor on that offense. I mean, they could be deadly. Well, now with Chris Godwin expecting to miss some time, I mean, Julio Jones is only going to be a bigger factor in that offense. I think it's very interesting to see how they're going to incorporate Julio. It's like he had that, just that he had no year last year in Tennessee. His last year with the Falcons was uninspiring. They, that, that looked like a reinvigorated Julio Jones. And, and it's awesome to see. He's one of the great receivers of our, of our generation. But I think the last thing we got to hit on here before we get into our not playing picks, I mean, it, it, sort, it happened the night of our first episode. So it's easy to just think, it feels like a long time ago, but the opening game, Bills and Rams. I mean, the Buffalo Bills went into the defending champs house, won by over 20, and that's with turning the ball over like way more than they should be. Two interceptions for Josh Allen. I think they fumbled the ball a couple times. Four turnovers on the road at the defending champ Rams, and you walk out winning by 21. I mean, statement. I think they still made it their house despite the turnovers. Look, Matt Stafford was not good. <laughs> in that in that no. game either he really wasn't i think he, he he had a a couple crucial picks in there and a lot more turnovers but i mean that game oh boy the bills did really make a statement you got all this hype in your home building coming into that game look i give credit to bills mafia too they they flew across the country they showed up on a night where they're trying to honor you know the super bowl defending champions you got Odell Beckham Jr. in the building, which was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And, he looked like he was on the team. Yeah, I just didn't understand that one at all. And then, you know, the Rams put up a stinker because the Bills are just, oh, man, that offense. They're good. Something else. How about Josh Davis? Da- Davis, too, making some big plays at receiver. I mean, just look out. Josh Allen knows what he's doing. I mean, Diggs goes for 122 and a touchdown. Like, we're talking about a trade that worked out for both sides. How about swap? Like essentially, it was a Stefan Diggs or Justin Jefferson swap. The the Vikings didn't want to pay a receiver. They were able to get younger, cheaper, and now have one of the, one of the best receivers in the league. And the Bills were able to bring in at the time a sure thing in Steph Diggs, who has been just an absolute perfect fit for Josh Allen. They have a, you could tell they have a great relationship on and off the field. So that that was such a win win. But but Gabe Davis gets in the end zone, has eighty eight yards, and Josh Allen, like usual, is still their leading rusher because that's what he is. He's such a dual threat. That he is, I mean, you saw him just with the way he was able to run the ball into that end zone, full arm extension, looking like Michael Jordan in Space Jam, rolling that football into the end zone. Like, like Josh Allen's special. We know he's one of the five best quarterbacks in this league, one of the five best players in this league. The Bills are obviously one of the teams to keep an eye on all year when it comes to Super Bowl contention. But uh, I think we had to, even though it was it, it was almost a week ago now, we had to we had to touch on that Thursday night game, and, and I'm glad we were able to hit on all the primetime games. But a, a crazy week in football. I, I don't know if there's anything that, that we missed that you want to touch on before we head into our picks, but I, I think we sort of touched on all the important storylines. No, I think it, you mentioned it. It was a crazy week one, and I've never really felt, I think this is the first time in a while where you look at the slate of games and you really kind of feel, wow, like that was exciting. There's some optimism for the next 17 weeks of, of, of NFL regular season. You know, this is really exciting well, what we just had in week one, and, you know, hopefully it continues. I was unable to to watch the game on red to watch the the day on red zone, but I can only imagine Scott Hansen was going absolutely nuts with the combination of just you had games going to overtime, you had big plays, you had missed kicks. It, I'm sure it was just a classic performance out of out of Scott, who, as as a wise man once said, and I tweeted it from at No Plain Views on Twitter. Football, it's it's classic. But let's get into our not playing picks. It was not a great start four hour football picking segment. Um, it, it, it was, it was ugly. I went one for two out of my picks, my three point pick Colts minus seven missed and my one point pick Panthers pick missed, but I hit my two point pick with Steelers plus six and a half to give me a score of two on the year. And Harris with, with an offer in, in the opener saints minus five and a half Raiders plus three and a half Pats plus three and a half all missed. So we sit here after week one with, me leading the not playing pick segment to nothing, but all it takes is, is one week. I mean, it's early here. We're, we're still getting a feel for these teams. And, and with the way we have it lined out with the, with, with the values based on your confidence, you, you hit a couple of your big picks and, and you're right back in it. You're in the lead. So let's get into it. Uh, you want to give us your three point pick? Yeah. I mean, first of all, taking the offer, like what do you expect? Our playing the Hawks days. I was taking offers left and right. Um, 
<laughs> Anyways, I mean, I think this is a really interesting week looking at the spreads. Um, so I actually picked a couple uh, non-favorites to um, to win some games here um, with my number well, with my one point pick. I'm going um, Vikings at plus one and a half at Philadelphia. So, you know, I like what Minnesota did. I think the Eagles have a dynamic offense. I do think the Eagles have a good chance to edge that because the Eagles offense is so dynamic, but the Vikings also have Justin Jefferson. So we'll see. I think it's going to be a really good underrated matchup. Number two, I believe is a really safe pick in picking the Steelers at home plus one and a half uh, over New England. Uh, I just don't think the Patriots have it. I liked what the Steelers were able to do, put up a good fight against the Bengals. Obviously, we love Mike Tomlin, yada, yada, yada. Safe pick, obviously. I'll go with a three-point pick. I didn't like what the Titans did, especially against the Giants. So, Bills, minus nine and a half over Tennessee. I'll lock that in for my three-point pick. I pray to God that it works. Finally get a hit on the board. So, we'll see. Brandon, what do you got? I, I mean, I'll start with my three-point pick because it is the one – commonality we have between our picks i also went with the bills minus nine and a half for the three-point pick i mean the titans lost at home to the giants and the buffalo bills just absolutely annihilated the defending super bowl champs 10 like like they, like i could see buffalo just at home here home opener i think this could just be a trouncing by buffalo to the point where nine and a half this this could be a, a tw- another 20 plus point victory for the bills so i was with you that is easily my most confident play of the week so my three-point pick also bills minus nine and a half This is where we get different. I went with my two-point pick, a team that, as we're establishing here, I am very high on this year, the Baltimore Ravens. I have the Ravens minus three and a half this week. I I think we just saw the the very minimum of what this offense could be against the Jets. I think Lamar started getting into a bit of a groove more as the game went on, and I think that's only going to continue here into week two. Uh, The Ravens' defense is as legit as it's going to get. The Dolphins here, they're able to take care of a lackluster Patriots team, but now they have to go on the road, go to Baltimore. This is not the same old, the, the, the same type of defense that you're playing. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are going to be pressured by a great secondary. Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Marcus Williams. I, I, I like the Ravens here. Uh, of course, three and a half is never the greatest line because you have to win by more than a field goal. That's part of when you look at this, you're looking for the value on the spreads as much as your confidence in the teams, but I'm riding Ravens. And then my last one, it's, it's my one point pick so I can get a little creative here. And, and I went Lions minus one and a half. We really didn't dive into that game, but they gave the Eagles a run for their money. They, AJ Brown was a little too much for them to handle in his Eagles debut. He was yeah. an absolute monster. But here you have the Lions. They're at home against the Commanders. The Commanders just played a close game with the Jaguars. I, I don't know. I, I, I think they have something brewing there. The Amon Ross St. Brown and and DJ Chark looked good. DeAndre Swift is just as smooth as a runner as there is. He looked fantastic. And I think they're able to get, get, get a win there at home against the Commanders. I don't know. A two-point win. You win by a field goal at the end. Establish a little bit of a lead there in your home field against, against Carson Wentz. I, I, again, it's my one-point pick. So I could make a pick here that I feel a little go a little bit different. So Lions minus one and a half. Let's bite some kneecaps. Yeah, I mean, that was actually another pick that I was that I put down on my list to consider. Uh, I, I think, you know, the Lions shocked some people. Um, and I think Washington's a team that the Lions should be able to beat with this new look, Dan Campbell, balls to the walls kind of offense that, uh, and defense that we have here. So I love the attitude of the Lions. I think that's a great pick. And uh, good to see we have some similarities there. Yeah, so make sure to... To keep an eye, we we update our at no plane at no plane views Twitter account with all of our no plane picks. See who we pick, see how they fare, and just we're gonna keep trying to roll out more content on Twitter. Where where there's only our second episode here, we're gonna try to keep expanding the Twitter to to promote more of our content. And where as time goes on, we want to just be tweeting more of our live opinions and thoughts. But for now, you can check out all of our our, our pick segment. It's all gonna be there. Keep track on on how we're doing these things, and I, and I really like this type little competition we got going on. I, I, it's as, as we know, back from our, we've competed against each other in sports many years ago. We're competitive guys and, and I want to win. I'm sure you feel the same way. Free throw competitions, throwing CGs for Matt in the middle school. I mean, yeah. I think I, 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 you know, we got to find a history book. I think you and I, I think, Oh no, you, you threw the complete game in eighth grade. I think it was, I, I had that great performance against POB in seventh grade, you but did. I think you're the only one. I think you're the only one that, that, that was able to complete seven innings. I wanted to go back out there. 
<laughs> I mean, sure the fact that the fact that he didn't let me go out there after throwing six <laughs> shutout innings is just I I still think about that. But you know what? It is what it is. We had some good times, and uh, yeah, bringing back the competition. I love it. Some late breaking news. We are about to sign off, but considering the considering how I felt about Week One, I have to break this news right here on No Plain Views. The Indianapolis Colts have cut Rodrigo Blankenship. Wow, <laughs> the man who was responsible for my downfall in both my survivor pools, the man that ripped my heart out in overtime after a miraculous Colts comeback just on his right leg, is now been cut. Wow, Rodrigo, one of the guys he, he felt like one of the more staple kickers in the NFL over the last couple of years. But Rodrigo has been cut. His missed game-winning field goal has left sour taste in Colts front office's mouth, and they're moving on. Wow. How about that for the first breaking news on the pod? There we go. We, we, we love breaking news whenever we get the opportunity, and there it is. We might be the first. So, besides Shefty. But, I mean, that's a big thing, and that's expectations. Look, they're high. The, the, they're high. They should not have lost that. They should, excuse me, they should not have tied that game to a lowly Texans team. You just shouldn't have. So, you know what? I get they want to make a statement. They want to make a statement by cutting their kicker. It's a pretty easy thing to do. You know, waiver wires on kickers are pretty easy to get. And, you know, that's just the move they made. So, buckle up. Colts have high expectations. As someone that just is now been stripped of the the enjoyment of survivor pools, I'm glad to see him being held accountable as much as I am. If I'm eliminated... Rodrigo has to be held accountable for his actions, and it seems that the Colts are holding him to that standard. So I, I, I can't say I'm disappointed to see that. But with that, that is all for the Known Plain Views pod. Make sure, like I mentioned, please give us some love and engagement on Twitter at No Plain Views. We really want to make that a, a signature part of what we're trying to do here. Another outlet to really interact with with our listeners and, and push out our content. Make sure to rate and review our podcast five stars. We are out there on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts for now. Make sure to show love to the pod. Show your friends. We're two kids here really trying to push out our sports media careers, and we think we're we're doing something good here. So like, support, comment. We're always here to interact with you. We're going to be pushing out more content as the weeks go on. But that is all for this episode. I'm Brandon Mintz. I'm Harris Eisenberg. And thank you for tuning in to episode two of the No Plain Views podcast. And episode three will be coming soon. Thanks, guys. Faces